I'm going to get directly into the word of the Lord. And I'm, we're starting a new series uh, that um, others will help me with. And this series that is simply titled Chain Breaker. <clears throat> People deal with bondage. In the last three plus years, especially since COVID came, the levels of bondage, stress, complexity, difficulty, rage, anger, impatience, hostility, division, abuse, addiction has gone through the roof. People live at such levels of pressure and stress that the slightest provocation can send them over the edge. It popped up on my app yesterday about someone just north of the city who was outside, according to the report, had been drinking because, you know, the influence of that no doubt clouded their judgment. But finally, after midnight, the family next door went over to this person because he was shooting a rifle and their baby was trying to sleep and asked if he would politely stop shooting the rifle for the, so the little baby could rest. It was scaring the baby. And he became enraged and went and shot and killed five and wounded three others. You saw that. I don't know if they found him yet or not. What's happening on the freeways? Is indicative of the levels of stress that people are carrying. And there was a time when that kind of thing didn't occur until you were little older, you were grown. That is, you didn't see that kind of activity. People didn't carry that kind of hostility until they encountered situations like marital problems or financial problems. But it doesn't wait till it gets there now. It starts among small children. Our schools are filled with kids that can't cope. The struggle for identity has been overwhelming. People don't know who they are. They're confused. They're being told different things by different people who all have agendas. Pulling these children's minds in different directions. And then when you throw out the only foundational document that is in existence upon which you can build a future in this world and that's the Bible and say it's no longer relevant and you have churches that are disregarding the teachings of the Bible. I'm not here to knock people. I just think of the psalmist who asked the question, if the foundations are destroyed, what shall the righteous do? And the very foundations of life are being questioned and undermined. Right now, everything that was once resolved and settled in the minds of people is now up in the air and is open to debate and speculation and ridicule. The result has been that people have turned to self-medicating solutions. The levels of addiction in today's society are staggering. All kinds of addiction. People are in bondage. We have watched that even in our services. As God's presence comes in, there is a place where when the supernatural overlaps the natural realm, it is in that zone that miracles begin to occur. If you live only in the natural realm, you, you won't see that. But when... The supernatural overlaps the natural world. 
All kind of things begin to happen. All Jesus had to do was walk into a place and demonic spirits would begin to cry out. He didn't challenge them. He didn't call them out. He just walked in and they started shrieking. Throw them, the person they possessed on the floor. These were all symptomatic of things that people had been struggling with. Can you imagine what the people who were dealing with these, these issues had to experience up until that moment of deliverance. We always focus on the incident of deliverance. We don't think about what that person had to endure to get to that moment. Maybe years of extraordinary pain, brokenness, and ruin. And whenever you bring the, the supernatural presence of God in, and you do that by worship, the response is automatic and it's sudden. And there has been an unusual, I, I, I don't know quite how to say it, download of the presence of the manifest God in this place. He's here. He has responded to worship in a way that has been staggering to me. I come in and it just overwhelms me. So I'm starting a new series today and simply going to title that Chain Breaker. And I'm turning to Luke chapter 10, verse 13. I'll begin reading now. He was teaching in, uh, let's make that verse 10. Uh, I'll begin reading. Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. But... And isn't there always one of those in every crowd? The ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation. Can I make another observation? Why is it that the ones who always get upset are the religious folk? He answered with indignation because Jesus had, oh, heaven forbid, he had healed on the Sabbath? You gotta be kidding me. Call out the National Guard for heaven's sake. And he said to the crowd, he didn't tell Jesus this, the ruler of the synagogue turned to the crowd and said, there are six days on which men ought to work and therefore come and be healed on them and not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord turned and faced him, answered and said, hypocrite, does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it away to water it? So ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound, think of it, Jesus said, for 18 years be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath. And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame and all the multitude rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. I want to speak this morning for a few minutes from the subject, the desire to be set free. Father, I pray that in this series, and I know you're going to do this, that, will you, that you will use the insights and revelations from your word, the truth it contains, to impact all of us. There are people here today that want freedom. And I'm asking you to show them the way to that and let them experience it. And because we do need that overlapping of the supernatural dimension in your presence to make that occur, we invite you into this place, Lord, in an even greater way. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. The story is fascinating on a number of different levels. The woman 
had been bent over for 18 years and could not straighten up. Her condition would have been permanent had Jesus not set her free on that Sabbath day. Have you ever been there? I mean, where it seems that no matter how hard you try, you can't straighten up either. Oh, I'm not talking about physical posture, Emma. I'm talking about you try to straighten up and the Bible said she could not raise herself up. And no matter how hard you try, you can't raise yourself out of the dilemma that you're in. One of the most profound insights in this story is what we gain when we look at it from the perspective of understanding why we are incapable of straightening up our own lives and getting free by ourselves. But to be able to get to that, there are a couple of things I need to, to, to address. First of all, we believe in healing. We believe in the supernatural. We believe in miracles. We have seen extraordinary things happen recently. But it is questionable as to whether what happened to this woman was a healing. If I understand scripture correctly, it was not. It was a miracle. No doubt about that. But notice that the scripture specifically attributes her condition not to an illness, but to her being bound by a spirit of infirmity. And it's interesting to note that out of the four gospels, it is Luke in his gospel that records this detail. Luke is a medical doctor. And Luke would have known if there had been an organic cause to the problem the lady was facing. And he says, that was not the issue. The issue was there was a spirit of infirmity and apparently spirits can mimic the symptoms of an actual illness, which makes it even more confusing. This woman was as bound as if she had manacles on her hands and feet attached to links of forged steel. She could not straighten up. And Jesus called her forth from the crowd and said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. He didn't heal her. He broke the spirit that had her in bondage that she had been unable to get free from. Now, usually when this story is, is spoken about in church, it's always from the perspective of a lack of compassion that the people in the synagogue had toward her plight. And it's true that the callousness of the leader of the synagogue is shocking because what Jesus cares about is not the building and the seats and the air conditioning. He cares about the people who are in the building. Amen. But this leader was more interested in the rules than the people that were going through the ordeals that they were coming to the synagogue to get help for. May God save us from the problem of the indifference of religious people who don't care about the pain and the suffering of people as long as they've got hoops they make everybody jump through. Can I just talk like I feel like talking today? Amen. Christ did not come to make us live or to enforce a bunch of rules in our lives. He came because the word of God has an unusual ability to set people free. God didn't give us rules and regulations and, and governmental order so that we could be bound. He knew that if we go into what we want to go into because of the weaknesses of our flesh, that the inevitable outcome of some of the decisions we will make and the choices we will select will lead us into a downward spiral that will result in our bondage. And so God says, stay away from this, not because the rule is important, but because you're important and I don't want you to be bound by this. Amen. And Jesus goes on to point out 
when the religious leader so upset, he says, wait, whoa, whoa, hold on, time out, time out, wait a minute. He said, this is the Sabbath. You even take your ox and your donkey out of the field where they don't have to plow and you put them in the stall so they can rest on the Sabbath. And then you will go because it would be cruelty for you to leave them there dying of thirst or without food. You go lead them to water. How much more does God care about the people who are here that are going through not just six days a week of suffering, but seven days a week of suffering? The Sabbath wasn't set up so you could lock them in the stall. The Sabbath was set up so man could come have an encounter with God. Oh, somebody in the building ought to say amen. Bondage can exist in various forms and take on different shapes. With a lady in the synagogue, it took on all of the symptoms of a structural illness. Something that resulted in paralysis, an injury. But bondage can be fear. There are people in this building that struggle, no doubt, because any crowd this size is going to have somebody in it that's dealing with this. Fear has you in bondage. It may be a mindset of poverty. And no matter how hard you try to elevate your life, you keep hitting the same glass ceiling over and over and over again and get knocked back down because something has bound you. It might be bitterness and something could have happened many years ago, so far back that you don't even remember it. It's not even present in your conscious thinking, but it set up in you a hostility that you could not cope with. And now you don't trust and, and you're bitter and you deal with unforgiveness and, and it, it restored in brokenness, but it's ended up with you being in bondage. It can result in addiction because people, as I said a while ago, deal with all types of things to mood alter pain. It could be pornography. It could be alcohol. It could be drugs. And for somebody else, maybe it's anger, like that man that, that killed those people I mentioned a while ago. I, I don't know what kind of stress you have to carry to, for your rage to be so close to the surface that when somebody asks you to kindly just let their baby sleep, that that's enough to set you off on a murderous spree. But it happens all the time. If that were the only case, I would say that was an anomaly, but it isn't. It's happening daily. And then others in this building, bondage means unrelenting, dark, oppressive depression. Can't get out of your room hardly. Don't want to face the world. Our children are dealing with this right now. School children are struggling with this. They're taking their own lives because of this. Can't cope with the pressure. And then others, it's a deep-seated sense of insecurity, a terrible, debilitating sense of shame and condemnation. And you know what you do when you feel like you don't measure up and you're, you're, you're shorter than everybody else and you can't raise yourself up. You spend your life on tiptoes and that's the most uncomfortable way there is in this world to live. And what happens is your relationships get affected. Bondage divides. It destroys families. It's dividing families in this building right now. Because somebody in that home is bound. It creates what I called a while ago a downward spiral. And the more you try to deal with it, the more stuck you get. Bondage can feel impossible to break. And like this woman, you try, but you just, you, you, you can't raise yourself. And can I get real with you? You go to counseling and that doesn't work. And and you go to see a psychiatrist or a psychologist and, and I'm not knocking anybody because all of these are, are acts of desperation. You go to a rehab center and you walk out and it, that didn't fix it either. Why? Because bondage and you're bent over and strongholds end up being created within us because of the negative impact of these things on our lives. 
And what ends up happening is there are little domains, areas in our own heart where the enemy now has taken up residence and he's sniping at us from undercover. One of the men of this church during the Iraq war started an internet business in in Iraq. And to do that, he and his partner, he had to climb on top. Some of you may have been there and seen and may, may even know the name of the business. I won't call it, but, but you've probably seen the hotel I'm going to refer to, the Baghdad Hotel. And he was on top adjusting an antenna and his partner was telling him, move it over to this way. And all the while he was trying to get that thing set up, a sniper was steadily shooting at him. And that's what the enemy does. He takes up a place of concealment in your life so that he can begin to shoot at you and shoot at your family and shoot at what matters in an attempt to destroy you. Amen. Negative habits have proven to have, to, to have an epigenetic effect. And what that means is that it, they cause a change to occur in gene function. And three things happen. Whenever you make the step forward in your life into an area that you don't really want to go into, it begins to have an effect on you. But that's not all that's happened. It starts in your thinking. And so with the negative thinking, with the act that carries you into a place where you're disobedient to the principles of God for your life, what ends up happening is there are spirits that rush in through the door you have just opened. And together, it is this negative thinking, the epigenetic effect of bad habits, and the spirits that we have come to call generational curses. They take up residence in your life. An epigenetic effect of bad decisions not only affects you, it affects to the fourth generation. Fourth generation. That is why you do not get free just for you. You get free for your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. That's why freedom is so important. Because if you don't break it, it gets perpetuated and more deeply entrenched in the next generations. Jesus came, beloved, so that we could be free. I wish somebody would say amen. You say, what is freedom? Freedom is living your life in such a way that you're able to fulfill and manifest your God-given potential and purpose. Because you are not here by accident. God created you, brought you into this world for a specific purpose. Amen. But when you take this detour that ends up resulting in you getting bent over and unable to straighten up your life and you're trying, then you find yourself unable to fulfill the calling of God. You can't even discern the calling of God on your life. And you begin to reason, why would God use me? And that overwhelming sense of shame begins to flood through your heart. And I, I want to be clear. Self-help programs are wonderful insofar as they go. Rehab, I recommend it if you need it. Counseling, fantastic. But I want you to understand none of those things deal with a spiritual dimension. And that's what God came to address this morning. Amen. You can't do it by yourself. You need the help of somebody that is a chain breaker. And I want you to know the chain breaker is in this room right now. Hallelujah. Jesus said that he was three things. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. If you want to find life, and that more abundantly, you need to know he is the way to get to it. And though when you start walking down his way, you're going to have to deal with something called truth. 
You can't lie to yourself. You can't forget it. You can't pretend it isn't there. You can't let it go. You've got to take a look at what it is that's holding you down. And I'm here today because God wants to help somebody get out of what has been holding you back. Several things you need to know to be set free. Number one, this story teaches us that the greatest truth is not knowledge. It's not information. It's not health, self-help books. Thank God for all of that. It's not a counselor. The greatest truth is not facts. It's not even a religious doctrine. It is a person. And that person is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the truth. Not the book on your shelf. Hello, somebody. Not the doctrine your denomination teaches. I'm not knocking all of that because that will help you as much as they can. But when it comes to deliverance, you need the one that is called the truth. He alone can speak the word. The only way this woman got free And she had been going to synagogue, hearing Torah read and taught for many years. But the only way she got free is somebody else showed up at the synagogue that day. The second thing we should know is we need to discern our own weaknesses. That is one of the hardest things for us to do, isn't it? To be self-analytical, self-assessing. To take a hard look in the mirror and say, you know what your problem is, buddy? That's hard to do. Uh Uh-uh. We don't want to own our weaknesses. We want to put them off on somebody else. We want to blame shift. It was the way I was raised. It was what somebody did to me. It's the way you talk to me. If you knew who I was married to, if you had to work with a stress I've got to work with on my job, if you had a son like I'm trying to raise, no, no, no. You got to deal with the issue on the inside. And while I'm there, let me say the church is not for perfect people. There are no perfect people. The church is for broken people who are trying to grow the nature of Christ in them. Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and said, you're like whitewashed sepulchers. But inside you're full of decaying dead men's bones and rot. Christian people have unwittingly hurt the church by walking around acting like Praise Jesus. How are you doing today? Hallelujah. If it wasn't so good, you'd take my shoes off. I'd go straight up right now. Amen. Church isn't made of perfect people. All we've done is made people who have problems feel uncomfortable coming here. And then we gave ammunition to the devil when we do mess up and everybody does. The devil says, see, look at them. None of them are what they claim to be. Let me make one statement right now. Nobody in this building is perfect from me on down, but we're forgiven. And that's what makes the vital change that needs to take place in our lives possible. I stand Not because I'm strong. I stand because of the grace of almighty God. I'm here because of nail prints. Amen. We shouldn't be surprised that believers are not perfect. Look at what God took Adam out of. He didn't make him from gold or silver or diamonds or rubies. He made him from dirt, the cheapest stuff we got on the face of this planet. And every once in a while, dirt will reexert itself and remind you, you, I know what you're made of. Amen. But what you need to do to experience freedom is say, yes, Paul said it like this. Second Corinthians four, seven, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. I've got a treasure on the inside. This is not the treasure. The treasure is here. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, somebody, let's take a praise break. You've got a treasure living on the inside of you. Somebody give God a shout of praise in this. The chain breaker wants to help somebody here today. But to help you, you've got to be willing to admit that I need help. And I want to say this, even strong people are broken in ways you might not discern. Amen. You can't see it, but it's there. How do I know it? Because they live in this same fallen world and they're made of the same mud that the rest of us are made out of. Amen. And I'll give you one more thing on that. Every strength, I've lived long enough to realize this. Every strength has a weakness built into it. You think about that for a minute. Samson. But inside, he was wounded and broken. And he hid something within that ended up becoming his downfall. Amen. Our assignment in life is to discern what our weaknesses are, not just figure out our strengths. Find your weakness and let God's grace turn that into a strength because that's where your testimony is going to be. I'm going to, I'm going to, I got to talk about that for a moment. Your testimony doesn't come from your strength. Your testimony comes from a weakness that became a strength. Hallelujah. The third thing that we should know is that we should not allow our weaknesses to define or become our identity. Did you notice the passivity of the woman with a spirit of infirmity that is in our text? She was in the crowd. But when Jesus came in, she did not do what the lady with the issue of blood did. Get out of my way. I'm sorry if I step on your foot, elbow you. You have to forgive me. But I got to touch the hem of his garment because that's the chain breaker right there. She didn't do that. She stood there passively. She didn't do what Bartimaeus did. When Jesus passed by Jericho, Bartimaeus cried out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. She didn't do that. She just stood. I don't know if you see what I'm trying to communicate, but that is flabbergasting to me. She stood with deliverance only a few feet away. How are you going to stand when your breakthrough is only a short distance from where you are right now? And Jesus called her out. This really speaks to me. It really does. It speaks to me because it tells me that she had come to accept her condition as her reality. How do you see yourself? She saw herself as been over, unable to raise herself up. Jesus is there and he's going to make the vital difference in a moment. But she is not stepping forward because she has accepted her false identity. Can I disabuse some of us of an incorrect notion right now? Can I kind of, as it were, shed some light on some things? You are not the sum of your mistakes. I'm preaching better than some of you are responding right now. You are not the sum total of where you messed up. You are not a failure. You may have failed, but in the eyes of God, you still have potential. And God is here to restore somebody back to their state of freedom. I'm just about done. She had accepted her condition as normal. This is me. This is who I am. And one of the most important things that you will ever do if you want to break chains is you're going to have to reject that notion 
I am not who the devil tells me I am. I am not. I may have been doing this my whole life, but he calls me by a different name. Hello, somebody. I'm not only the sum, not the sum total of my mistakes, I am not the sum total of my successes either. Whatever successes I have won in life, it's been by the grace of God. If I gain any praise, let it go to Calvary. But I know that I am a flawed individual. Hello. Oh, I feel God in this place right now. Names matter. They matter. I, I wish I could go into more of that, but, but I, I don't have time. I'll, I'll pick that up again just a little bit later. But names are significant. And naming somebody in Scripture, in the Bible, that was huge, huge. Because when you name them, you spoke prophetic destiny over their life. But I, I want you to know this. The Father has called you. By name. Hello, somebody. Whatever name you've been going by, that's not who you are. That's a false identity. And I'm here right now to tell you the Father is here to give you your identity back. I need somebody to say, I'm getting my name back. I'm getting my identity back. I'm becoming who God said I am. And that's what Jesus did with this woman when the leader of the synagogue spoke up and said, how dare you do this on the Sabbath day? He said, hold on, time out. You take your donkey from the stall and go lead it to water on the Sabbath. Should not this daughter of Abraham who has been bound for 18 years be loosed? Jesus did not let 18 years of bondage stop her from still being known as a daughter of Abraham. Who am I talking to? 18 years of drug addiction. Oh, I felt that. Who am I talking to? 18 years you've struggled with the same thing. That's not who you are. You're still a child of God and God wants to set you free and break some bondages here today. want our musicians to come. The last thing I want to mention is this. Well, just quickly, two things. Mention this, then I'll, I'll close with the other. To be free, you have to change what you're in bondage to. That's bad. To being in bondage to something that is good. You're going to serve someone or somebody. You're going to serve somebody. You're going to serve something. It may be your own intellect. It may be position. It may be name. It may be fame. You will serve something. But make no mistake about it. It's using you. You're not using it. It may be money. It may be drugs. You're going to serve something. But the secret to living a life of freedom is to get the chains broken from those things that are harming you and say, Lord, I want to become your servant now. I want to be in bondage to you. David talked about that. The psalmist did in the Psalms when he said, bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. I pray that for me. God, tie me down so much to you that I never even think a thought of going anywhere else. God, let me love you so much that I cannot imagine life without you. I'm going to be in bondage to something. Let me be a love slave to God.
Paul said it like this. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. I'm not going to stop getting drunk. I'm going to just get drunk on the right thing. I'm going to get high on the right thing. I'm going to get addicted to what does me good. Let my soul delight itself in God. From the rising of the sun and to the going down of the same. Your name is great to be praised. I want to get up in the morning with your name on my lips. I want to go to bed at night with your name on my lips. I want to wake up at night. I want to belong to you, Lord. And the last thing, we need to recognize when our opportunity comes. Because some people don't. The woman's opportunity had come that day. She was in the right place when the deliverer came by. And when I tell you that you need to be in bondage to the right things, where was the woman at that Sabbath day? She was in church. She didn't stay home because she said, I got a problem. I don't even think you're hearing me right now. Have you already checked out? Do I need to give the altar call and let you leave? Because what we do when we have a problem is we say, I'm not going today. I don't feel like it. I'm under stress. What we ought to do is run to the house of God and say, Lord, I am stuck on you. I'm stuck on you. Eighteen years of suffering. Eighteen years of affliction. 18 years of dealing with the same issue and trying, but she couldn't raise herself. Somebody said, you going to stay home today? Uh Uh-uh. I'm going to church in my condition. I'm going to church with my problem. I'm taking it to the house of God because you never know when the chain breaker might show up in church and you never know when the deliverer might come and you never know when your moment might arrive. Stand with me across the building. In Luke 19, the end of the chapter, I think it's chapter 19. Back to Bartimaeus. He's standing outside the walls of Jericho rattling his tin cup. And Jesus walks by and he says, who is that passing by? Because he can't see. And somebody said, it's Jesus. And Bartimaeus started shouting at the top of his voice. Jesus, our son of David, have mercy on me. And somebody said, hush, it's not that kind of party. It's church. Be quiet. Even Jesus' own disciples tried to shut Bartimaeus down. But the scripture says he cried so much the more. Jesus and Jesus stopped and said, bring that man to me. Now, this is what you might not know. It's where Jesus went when he left there. He went to Jerusalem for the Passover to be crucified. That was Bartimaeus' last opportunity because Jesus didn't pass that way again. And here's my point. May God help us to see when our moment comes. And let us embrace it with such totality and eagerness that if it's the last time Jesus ever comes that way, well, sorry about the rest of y'all, but I got what I needed today. 
Because I'm not letting him leave until I get what I need. And you can shut me down and you can do whatever you want. But the chain breaker is here and I'm going to get what I need in this house. Whose time is it right now? I'm not saying this is the last chance you'll ever have. I just am saying that when your time comes, baby, you need to know it and you need to seize it. Grab it. If I was Eminem, (laughs) lose yourself in the music the moment you own it. You better never let it go. You only get one shot. Don't lose your chance to blow. This opportunity comes once in a lifetime. God's talking to somebody right now. God's calling somebody in this house right now. God is reaching out to somebody right now. This is your moment. Every head is bowed. Who needs the Lord in this real building? Raise your hand. Hands up all over the building. Who needs to be set free? Come on, raise them. Don't be ashamed. Don't you be intimidated. You, you just show the devil, I don't care what you say. Amen. I may look good on the outside, but I'm bent over on the inside and I'm going to get what I need today. I want to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you will set every person free who has raised their hands. And Lord, I want you to come into the heart of every individual who is here who needs God. We repent of our sins. We repent of the doors that we have opened that we should have left closed. We repent of the thoughts that we've entertained and the emotions that we should have rejected. We may have kept it all on the inside. We we repent of not letting it go and leaving it in your hands. And we ask you, to set people free. Come into the hearts of those who need you and be their savior right now. In Jesus' name. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. Now let's have a party for a moment. Welcome everybody that prayed that. Come on, I can't hear you. Let's have a party for a moment. Hallelujah. They'll put some stuff up on the screen. Or you can go to the QR code or you can text that number. Also, you can text and join the daily devotional that I write. Those of you that raised your hands, come join me now. You know who you are. And we're beginning a series on deliverance and on the chain breaker. Things are going to be broken in people's lives. Depression is going. Anger is going. Come on. Hallelujah. Stress, worry, fear. It's going. Come on. I want to pray with you. Amen. Marital discord. You look like the perfect family on the outside, but inside you're all torn up because of bondage. Come in close. There are others coming down the aisle behind you. And we're going to spend some time worshiping now, if you would. Okay? I want us to go straight into worship. Let's not take a moment getting there. Let's go straight there if we can, if you would. Because it is that juxtapositioning of the Spirit of God against human need that makes things happen. Would you lift your hands with me? Folk are still coming. People could be healed in this room right now. Children can be set free. Oh, wait, wait, wait. wait. Put your hands down for just a moment. I apologize. I apologize. How many of your... Pro- Let me say it like this. How many of you have children? Maybe they're not even your kids, but they're children. You're concerned about where they are at emotionally right now. Come on, raise your hand. My God, look at that. That's why you get breakthroughs right there. It's not just for you. It's for your kids and your grandkids, your great-grandchildren. And now with our hands raised, Father, I'm asking you to show up in this place. I want you to touch hearts. I want you to touch lives. We come against things that have people bound. We pray for freedom. Lord, would you just show up in this place 
and speak to someone here and say, you're loosed, you're free. In fact, somebody in this this altar right now, God is whispering that to you. Free, free. I want you to say that I'm free in the name of Jesus. I'm free, come on. Chains are breaking, chains are breaking, chains are breaking, chains are breaking. 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 Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Curses are being broken. To break every chain. Break every chain. Break Hallelujah. 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 Put your hand over your heart right now.